welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fosbearum. This week's guest is one of my favourite British actors. Rarely a month goes by when I don't switch on the TV or watch a film and discover Peter White in the cast. Peter has worked with Hollywood stars like Keira Knightley, Brad Pitt in Babel, graced the big screen in period dramas like Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre and Atonement, been in hit TV series including Our Zoo, The Crown, A Confession and performed more times than I've had hot dinners on stage at iconic theatres like The National, The Old Vic and Royal Court in everything from Shakespeare to Chekhov. He's been directed by some of the greats and is well known for the work he's done with director Mike Lee. Peter is currently filming the BBC drama The Reckoning, written by Neil Mackay and starring Steve Coogan as disgraced TV personality Jimmy Savile. Peter, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you, Helen, yes. It's very lovely to see you. You're always so busy. Your diary is always packed. Well, I'm very lucky. My diary is normally packed, although, of course, the last year has been sparse. But even in the sparse lockdown year, I've been very lucky because I've had three really nice sort of TV things and one film, which has kept me ticking over. So if you look at the number of weeks I've worked, it's not many, but the stuff I've done has been very nice. You always so. seem busy in our household because yeah. you are constantly on the television yes. and my 12 year old. Gold and Dave channels. Well, exactly. I mean, sometimes it's old things. stuff. I mean, sometimes, yeah. you know, it's hot fuzz and stuff like that. And other times it's whatever the latest series of the day is. My 12 year old often runs out going, mom, mom, Peter's on the TV again, <laughs> uh, which always makes me smile. Tell me a bit about The Reckoning, which is what you're filming at the minute for BBC One. Yes, I can't say a lot about it, but I can just tell you what we know, which is it's a very excellently written four-part drama about Jimmy Savile, written by Neil Mackay, excellent script, uh, with Steve Coogan as Jimmy. Steve's a brilliant, brilliant actor. I don't know if you've seen him on film, but um, apart from his Alan Partridge comedy genius, he's actually a brilliant screen actor. So I think as Jimmy Savile, he will be extraordinary. He's a very good mimic, of course, but also he's a good actor to get into the heart of the psychology of what was going on with a man like that. And it's a, it's a very, it's not sensationalist or exploitative in any way, the, the script. It's just revealing uh, the levels of denial. I, I always say it's a, it's a series about denial, people in denial. Savile himself about his own personality and also the world of people that didn't see through him. And that's most people. So in some way, the world was in denial as well. So, But it's it's a very excellent piece of work. So I'm very pleased to be in it. It is a little bit controversial, I guess, Peter. I read an interview with Steve Coogan saying that he thought long and hard about whether it was Mm, the right thing mm. to play him or not, whether it was the right thing, given the fact, I suppose, he died 10 years ago, never Mm. having been tried for any of the allegations against him. But did you have to think long and hard when you read the script or did you feel... No, well, no, I I, I did think long and hard, of course, but in, in, in a way, the decision was very easy. I read the script excellent a1 proper dramatic interesting writing faithful to the subject and in no way exploitative or sensational second who's playing jimmy savile <laughs> and once i heard it was steve who i've i've we've crossed paths about five or six times strangely over the years i did a little bit on alan partridge and then we were in a tv drama just one scene together so i i sort of know him but more to the point I thought that's the stamp of quality on this project. 
because I've seen him in, a, you know, some movies and he's so good. And also, like, as you said, I mean, he doesn't need to do it. Why would he do it? Financially, reputationally, why would top TV star like Steve Coogan decide to play this monstrous man? And there's something about it, the quality of investigation in the script that obviously appealed to him. And I, I, once I found out Steve was doing it, I said, that's good enough for me. I'm in. Um, and did you ever come across Jimmy Savile in, in your career? Well, bizarrely, I did have one brush with him. I was working for the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1990, I think, or 91. Mark Rylance was playing Hamlet, a production where I was playing Claudius, and we did it at the... It was a tour to start with, and then it became, went into the RSE repertoire, so we did it at the Stratford Theatre in the Barbican. When we were at Stratford, Mark, who's brilliant, um, inquiring, pioneering... Shakespearean genius but he also thinks a lot out of the out of left field or whatever the expression is and makes kind of interesting connections and he knew a very highly respected psychiatrist at Broadmoor Prison Hospital through that the idea of doing Shakespeare at Broadmoor came about and one Sunday the, Mark obviously checked that everybody was okay with that and would like to do it. So the cast of Hamlet went to Broadmoor one Sunday and we did Hamlet with no lights, just in like the hall or the gym or whatever it was with, I don't know, 100 prisoners, patients watching. And it was the most extraordinary, visceral performance of the play, of course, and fascinating. And everybody thought it was uh, gone really well. Murray Cox, the psychiatrist, loved it. And the, the guys watching seemed to love it. And there were a lot of questions afterwards. And it was a very fascinating experience. And I don't know, halfway through, not, not in a theatre, just with some drapes hanging down in this hall, I was standing ready to go on or watching the scene that was happening. And I felt a presence at my left and looked to my left and went, my God, it's Jimmy Savile, who, I don't know whether people know this, he he was a point, he had a lot, big connection with Broadmoor and he was actually the entertainment officer. He was put on a committee by Mrs Thatcher's government to try and shake up Broadmoor because it needed kind of new thoughts, new ideas, new blood. And Jimmy Savile was very prominent, quite controversially, in all of that. So that explained why he was there. I can't remember whether I knew that. I think I might have known he, he was kind of involved with Broadmoor, but it was like a shock. Oh, my God, it's Jimmy. And because, of course, he's an iconic, recognisable figure. I said, oh, hello. Uh, we had a little chat. I remember he said, I said, this is so interesting doing this play with these guys who are criminal. And he said, yes, yes. I must say, some of these boys have been very, very naughty. And that was the phrase that stuck in my mind. It was very Jimmy Savile. <laughs> You'll never um, forget that, But that you? was my only real-life encounter with him. Very few people suspected or knew what he was doing. So in itself, that's a fascinating exploration that this drama goes into. Absolutely. How could that happen? Absolutely. And it, it's, it's fascinating. I think it'll be very well watched yeah, as well. Yeah, I think it'll I think it will. get attract yeah. a big audience yeah. because, of course, so many of us grew up, didn't they, with Jim O'Fillis yeah, and all absolutely. that kind of thing. Yeah. So there is a fascination yeah. in that double life. And I'm sure yeah. with Neil Mackay 
writing, it'll be yeah. a very yeah. good production. But just yeah. sticking with Broadmoor, I mean, that must have been fascinating for you as an actor. Mm. And to take Shakespeare into a prison like that, mm. I must admit, I have a bit of a fascination because I suppose I've never been anywhere like that. Mm. Can you still feel what it was like, Peter, when you walked in? My memories of it, it, it when we got there, as I remember, it's 30 40, 30 years ago. But, I mean, when we went through the gates, as it were, this sort of big red brick building in Berkshire, I think it is, I didn't feel this sense of, like, evil and darkness and gloom. It just felt very normal in the process of putting on a play. I think we had a little run through just to get used to the space, this, this big hall. But then as the play happened, my memories then become vivid. I'm playing Claudius, who's murdered his brother. <laughs> And Shakespeare's soliloquies, there, Shakespeare's were sharing with the audience the inner thoughts of the character. So when you're on stage in Stratford, you've got like bank of lights, you've got a thousand people sitting there, and you're sort of, if, if you choose to do this this way, to speak to the audience, you're kind of protected or, or it's blurred because the lights, and you can see the front rows, but you can't see, it's just a mass of humanity that you're talking to. Broad daylight in Broadmoor, you're looking into the eyes of because there's no sort of banked seating. It's just guys on canvas chairs sitting around, and you're looking at them one by one. And Claudius's soliloquy begins with, "Oh, my offence is rank; it smells to heaven; it hath the primal eldest curse upon it, a brother's murder." So I'm looking at people who I'm not saying they're all murderers, of course, but they're all there because they've committed some sort of crime. So that was like extraordinary, made me very nervous. And then I became like very confident. It was a strange experience. That's amazing. I know, I mean, Hamlet still has a place in your life. You did the Andrew Scott Hamlet. Yeah. You've done a lot of Shakespeare with the Royal Shakespeare Company. You've been directed yeah. by people like Mark Rylance, who you just mentioned, yeah. and Michael yeah. Boyd. Do you yeah. think of yourself really, Peter, at heart a Shakespearean actor? Is that one of your big passions? Well, it sort of is, although I, no, no, I wouldn't call myself a Shakespearean actor like Mark, for example. Mark is born in the wrong century. He is an Elizabethan actor. He's, he, he, he founded Shakespeare's Globe on the South Bank. That's his soul. That's who he is. He's most brilliant. As though he's channeling Shakespeare, who's the next door writing his new play. Do you know what I mean? He's our and modern day bard, isn't he, really? But, Mark's our modern day bard, I suppose. Yes, isn't absolutely. He? I mean, he's brilliant in modern plays and on film, he's brilliant. But every time I've seen him, well, I had the privilege of being with him in a hundred 200 performances of Hamlet every time on stage, you think this is this is it. And then, I mean, there's brilliant Shakespearean actors, you know, like, oh, I mean, the old the old school. I mean, you watch Olivier in Henry the Film of Henry V, and it's the same thing. You just think, that's it. That's channeling through four or five centuries from what it was in its raw state at the globe, where you've got 500 groundlings shouting and eating pies and... Throwing tomatoes. Here because the bear baiting was closed, you know. But they also <laughs> loved it. There people flocked to the theatre because they wanted a story. And then all the posh people sitting at the top, the snobby aristocrats, in the daylight, so equivalent to us in Broadmoor, getting those sophisticated thoughts and feelings across. And the Globe held a thousand people. Big theatre. Seems small, but it's high. You know, the groundlings are hundreds of them standing in the pit. To make those plays work in that condition is extraordinary 
and then every so often you see a Shakespearean performance where you think, yeah, that's that's the thing, that's the real thing, like you know, Mark or Olivier or Roger Allen. I saw do a brilliant Falstaff at the Globe. You know, some great Shakespeare actors. But so I would never put myself in that category. I've been very privileged and lucky to hit um, certain Shakespeare productions like that Hamlet and then the Andrew Scott Hamlet, which is a very brilliant production as well. We've had, so hang on, 16, uh, 1598 um, until 1998 is 400 years. So we've had 423 years of accretion you know shakespeare like with limpets and crusts and barnacles growing on it through each age and in the modern age it can often be smothered by those conventions uh, but the brilliant productions they strip that off and the brilliant performances andrew was brilliant as mark obviously they strip that away and it's sort of like yeah i'm in the globe i'm watching this it's a new play it's fresh <laughs> oh, we need you to show Shakespeare soon so I can come and see you. You remember uh, Hazlitt saw Edmund Keane play Leo, I think, at the, the Drury Lane. Yeah. 2,000-seat theatre in Victorian times with crowds of people. I, I did a bit of research about Victorian theatre because I did Trelawney the Wells at the Donmar Warehouse. And it, you think, how did it ever, ever work with people? The theatres were so great sin pits in Victor, well, all Elizabethan times, and that's why it was on the South Bank, because it was outside the city, because it's not respectable with the brothels and the bear pits. But Drury Lane, the Victorian, the prostitutes flocking in the foyer, people would fry fish, selling cooked food, aristocrats meet their lovers in the curtain boxes at the back of the theatre, people shouting across, it was a great social event as well, fights would break out, and you have this one genius actor, Edmund Keane, Somehow, with gaslights, this sort of rowdy atmosphere, somehow they got it across. <laughs> and Hazlitt, the, William Hazlitt, the critic, watched Keane play Lear, and he said it was like reading Shakespeare by lightning. And that says it all. If an actor can do that, and silence this mob, <laughs> like, you know, Shakespeare's actors would have done in the Globe, in daylight, or... Keen or those great Victorian people in, you know, these gaslit barns, 2,000 seats, rowdy people, and you, you get the real thing. That's proper Shakespeare. I mean, last yeah. time we had tea together, Peter, you were in between performances of an adaptation of Chekhov's Uncle Vanya yes. at the Harold Pinter Theatre. Yes. You do such a mix of TV, film and stage. Do you lean more to the theatre or one of, one of well, the other I, genres? Well, if I had to choose, I would. I always, yeah, I, I mean, I started in theatre and I always say my my image of, of what you are as an actor, sometimes young actors come in because they think I'm old and wise, funny than you. You're definitely not old, you're definitely wise. Now I say, what's your dream? When they say, you know, I want to try acting, I want to do this, I want to do that, what do you think I should do? And I said, what's your, what's your fantasy, really, honestly, in your heart? And sometimes I'm embarrassed because it sounds quite grandiose. But actually, it's very important to identify that. When you're young and still finding your way, some actors who I know, I've worked with, their dream as a 
It could be like they're 12 in a school play or something. I want to be in Hollywood. <laughs> Mine was always, I want to work at the Royal Court. Really? Yeah. Or uh, I didn't know about the Royal Court when I was that age, but when I was doing school plays, that was the image I have. You have an image or a fantasy or a dream. And mine was always like coming out of rehearsal and sitting around in a cafe of a theatre with big plate glass windows and smoking cigarettes and having coffee and talking about the play and then going back and rehearsing. That was always my dream. That was like because I used to go to the Nottingham Playhouse when I was a teenager and I'd see all these actors like, and I thought, I want to be them. They were like gods to me. I said, I want to be there. Whereas other people I know very successfully, they always wanted to go to Hollywood. They wanted to be a film actor. And that was their dream. Well, you don't know where it's coming from, but if that, it's very important to get that in your mind because that's what drives you as but well as a lot of other things. But what's lovely is that, I mean, you've been on TV for so many years now, you know, going back to, mm. I'll pretend I don't remember it, Zed cast, but I do, yeah. you know, but you've done this, well, you've, you've done Hollywood, you've done Broadway, well, yeah. you do theatre, it's wonderful. I've, yeah, I've been very lucky because I've had that spread of experience, but I, I haven't done Hollywood. I've very luckily bumped into Brad Pitt. <laughs> nice. I wish <laughs> I could bump into Brad Pitt um, briefly. You know, and Kira Knightley, and who had, she wasn't Hollywood then, but she is now. So I've brushed against it. But the difference is an actor who really has that as a kind of motor in his soul of like, like, like people like Gary Oldman, who, I, you know, he, he always said, I'd, who do you really want to impress as an actor? He said, Marlon Brando. And he meant it. That's his dream. So that took him there. So you and, have to have that fire in your belly for, yeah, for one thing. Yeah, or the fire in your mind of like the vision of yourself. What? How do you see yourself? And sometimes it's embarrassing because people say, "Oh, I don't know." But if I was on stage, I'd be playing the lead. I say, "That's fine. That's your dream. That's your engine." So mine was never Hollywood. I totally admire people who have done that thing, especially in the old days. Now everybody goes to Hollywood. Or you don't even have to go. You can just send yourself tape. So it's kind of different now. But in the old days, for an, Liam Neeson did it as well. For an actor to say, that's my destiny. I'm going to go there physically, get a job as a waiter, try and make my way in this mad jungle. And, you know, the people whose dream it really was, they become big stars. And the courage it took to do that, I think, before self-tapes and flights to LA every week with the young actors, it was a very brave thing to do. So, so me, theatre. So indulge me. Give me five minutes with Brad Pitt on Babel. Oh, <laughs> Brad, dear Brad. No, dear Brad, I, look, you're look, Brad. I mean, Can we ring him now? <laughs> yeah, let's call him <laughs> let's now. I, I mean, this is where I, I don't want to kind of, because I, I had one scene with him. <laughs> And, it doesn't um, matter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not like I've been in Hollywood swanning around at his mansion and doing big parts with him. So I brushed against him. But that's a great film, Babel. Alejandro directed it, who did Birdman and The Revenant with your other man, Leonardo DiCaprio. Great director, Mexican-American, fantastic. I loved him. He'd seen me in a Mike Lee film. That's why I got the part. It's oh, like he, he watches like he sees I'm saving my lead for the end. Right, okay. So I was very lucky because I had like two weeks in Morocco and it was just a little scene. Did you see the film? I did. It's you in did. three I parts. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. middle of it is in Morocco. And Brad's, Brad, the, Brad's character's wife, played by Kate Blanchett, is shot accidentally, as it turns out, by a goat herd who's got the old rifle that goes throughout the film. But 
we're, we're a group of English tourists on the bus with Brad and Kate Blanchett, and we panic because we think it's terrorists. So we flee to this little Berber village in the hills, and Brad is trying desperately looking after the, the bleeding Kate Blanchett. And my character is the sort of lead character of this bunch of English tourists. And I'm saying, we've got to get out, we've got to get out, come on, like freaking out. And Brad Pitt is saying, no, 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 my wife is seriously wounded. You know, I'm going to wait here. We can't move her. And we have a, me and Brad have a fight in the street. (laughs) (laughs) As you do. So he throws me to the ground. So that's my claim to fame. (laughs) I was thrown onto the Moroccan earth by Brad. And then people, I'd come back and people would say, you know, I was fighting with Brad, and they said, can I touch your hand? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact you're so humble about this, because I know mean, you've done stuff with Kira Knightley as well, who's one of my favourites, Pride and Prejudice. I yeah. absolutely love that. And yeah. a bit in You're in Atonement as well. Tiny which bit, is, yeah. I had a nice yeah, scene, but I love it was the cut, book of but, uh, Atonement and the film. I thought yeah, it was amazing. No, Kira's great. Is she she's, lovely? Yeah, she's lovely. I knew her mother, funnily enough, uh, many, many years ago. She was a playwright lovely playwright but before that she was an actress and I did a play tour with her in 1970 something anyway I kind of kept in touch and I knew when Kira was born so you know I heard about Kira as a baby and then suddenly like 20 something years later I'm on a film set with her but no she's class act she's brave I've seen some of her performances where I thought what a brave choice which sometimes is actors euphemism for you know, that's what you say when you didn't like something. Very brave, dear boy. Oh, you, you were shit. But I saw Kira in the film about Freud. I don't think I saw cure. that, actually. I didn't see that. And she made a very bold choice in her characterization. I thought she was brilliant. Vigo Mortensen, and I can't remember who the other was, but it was... And is she uh, nice to work with? Tell me yeah, she's yeah, nice. Yeah, she's great. I like her she's lot. great. Yeah. She's done really, really well, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, no, she's, she's lovely. Uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I got on with a fine, and she's... You just admire certain actors because you think, I mean, it's a cliche, but you look at a director or an actor and you just think that's the real thing. You know, you can be seeing somebody in a film, an actor you don't know, or or you're watching a mate on stage, whatever, and you think that's it. (laughs) You know, the gold standard, whatever this weird thing is we're all looking for. So, no, she's got it. Yeah, yeah. And what about Peter Dinklage? Is he oh, the real deal the from real Game deal. of Thrones and Serenade? Directed by Joe Wright, who did Pride and Prejudice and Atonement. No, I like Peter very much. I, I mean, so you're in I, it too, aren't you? You went to, you went yeah, to um, yeah. Sicily, didn't we, we you? We filmed in it? Notto in Sicily a year, year ago, November last year. I didn't know Peter. I knew who he was. I'd seen him in The Station Agent and another film he did. He's very, And I thought it's. He's a good actor. I, 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 shame to say, I haven't seen Game of Thrones. I haven't. Told but I'm you. aware yeah. of it. Yeah. In the sense of why aren't I in it? <laughs> and B, you should be in it. I knew because I know that it's the most successful, most watched TV series ever, globally. So why are you not in it? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> so no, I never got around to seeing it, but I know about it. And I knew Peter was in it, like one of the leads, you know, and he'd been in it all eight series or whatever. So he's a huge star. And he and his wife devised this Cyrano project in New York. or They'd done it in the theatre, upstate New York, and then off Broadway. And then they, because of his power as a star, he can get it made as a movie. So that's the history of it. And I just drop in, do a nice little cameo character at the beginning of the film, 
nice couple of scenes with Peter. Same with Brad Pitt. You know, you, you fly into these huge movies where I've done just like three or four. You dropped in like on a parachute and you go, oh, it's Brad Pitt. Oh, Peter Dinklage, hello. And sometimes you just brush against it. You do your own work as well as you can, but and then you're taken away parachuted out reverse parachuted out so it can be a strangely disconnected process sometimes but with Cyrano because I knew Joe and because Peter was so delightful and a proper actor and he'd seen me in a Mike Lee film you know that always helps but he was he was lovely and we worked together I thought really well on this little scene these characters working together writing a poem it was suddenly like I was doing a play at the Royal Court in the rehearsal room like how should we do this what about this you know it was the real thing and he was lovely liked him enormously and he's in the film premiere was a couple of weeks ago so I saw it twice in three days cast and crew screening then the big premiere He's so good. I mean, I knew he was good, but he's so good, Cyrano. And I have to put in a word, Joe is like a wonderful visionary film director, and he always works with Seamus McGarvey, who's a cinematographer. I used to watch them on Atonement. We were filming in this big mansion in the Shropshire countryside, and I'd watch Joe and Seamus discussing the next shot. The thing about Joe, he's always on budget and on schedule, but he takes his time, <laughs> which is kind of like a contradiction. But I'd watch him and Seamus setting up a shot of like the landscape or the inside of this sort of mansion house. And they'd be, and just in silhouette against the sunlight, I watched them and they were kind of, and it reminded me of two kind of wonderful Italian painters from Michelangelo's time <laughs> discussing the ceiling, the, like the vision and the care and the composition and the, and they'd talk for like, seemed like for ages. And then they'd have the shot and they'd set it up. And then you see the film and you think, got it two geniuses at work but it's a wonderful thing to be in a film like that and Cyrano is the same that the sounds way like a shot. dream job actually and, and just um, to be parachuted into Sicily yeah, and be part, yeah, of, not bad. Not part bad. of that quite not nice bad. Yeah. as they say not too shabby a gig <laughs> <laughs> not too shabby gig. Now, it's not too shabby gig working with Mike Lee either. I mean, I know that Mike Lee is one of your favourite directors. You've been in so many of his films, Another Year, Meantime, Naked, Mr. Turner. I first, Vera Drake. Vera Drake. I came across his work. There's one more when I interviewed him for Secrets and Lies. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm and that, you're in that as well, aren't you? In a tiny you? way, yeah, Brenda yeah. Brenda Blethyn. Yeah. What was it like to work with him? I mean, I love the fact that it's, it's all about improvisation, isn't it? Mm, and it's mm, all mm. about, I guess, people. It's people at the heart, yeah, feelings, yeah. emotions, conversations, dialogue. How does he get you to yeah. dig deep into the character? Very good question. Have you got three hours on the yeah, podcast? Yeah, we've got three hours um, left. So it's just I could go on end. and on and on. <laughs> but interestingly, this ties in with your question, which I didn't quite answer, about my methodology, methodology yeah. as theatre acting. I had the great privilege in 1980, so that's 40 years ago, of working with a director called Mike Alfreds, on a, funnily enough, on a production of The Seagull, for his company Shared Experience, which we toured and played at the Almeida when it just become a theater. And Mike, I hadn't been, to, I'd never been to drama school. I'd done a lot of acting at university and thought I knew it all. So I just went straight into acting. You know, I got a couple of TV parts and some little theater gigs in rep and it was doing kind of all right. And then I bumped into Mike who taught me so much about acting 
because he's very Stanislavski. I don't want to say method acting, but like researching a play properly, a great play like Chekhov, six-week rehearsal, which in those days was unheard of. If you're lucky, you got two in rep. And we'd investigate the play, we'd deeply go into all the characters, we'd investigate every corner of the play. And it taught me that there is a real democracy in a great play, the cliche, there are no small parts in a great play. Otherwise, they wouldn't. why would the great writer put them in? And I was playing Medvedenko, which is normally considered a little part. Some of the exercises we did, I felt like I was the lead. And everybody had that experience because we'd go around all the characters. And it was a wonderful production, and I learned so much. And hopefully it made me a little more humble because I discovered what proper acting is. So... Mike Alfred's big credit. Then um, I first worked with Mike Lee, not long after that, actually, in Meantime, which was a TV film. So I'd learnt about how you create a character, how you investigate a character, how you build up a story of a character from Mike Alfred's with The Seagull. Then I bumped into Mike, where there's nothing else but that, because there's no script. There's no, uh, he has a rough scenario in his head and a range of characters and he casts actors and then you devise your character. So it that, that methodology in theatre is what I love doing. That's how I work. And it segued beautifully into Mike's work as film. Now, not every actor works like this and I totally respect that because I've worked with some brilliant actors, Zoe Wanamaker in The Birthday Party. I'd say, should we do the backstory of the character? She said, no, no. So <laughs> she, she doesn't want to do it. Learn no, the lines she's, and... But she's brilliant. Yeah. She does it up here and instinctively and doesn't like talking about it too much. And, and that, I totally think that's wonderful. A lot of actors are like that instinctive. I'm kind of very analog. Is that the right word? Like, I, you know, I, oh, no, that's not the right word. Um, but I love research. And I love devising a character's biography. And as I say, with Mike Lee, that's all there is. You've got to like that way of working. Otherwise, you, and some actors have worked with Mike and it hasn't been for them. They're wonderful actors, but it hasn't worked for them because they don't work like that. He, you know, he's a great leader, but he can't go anywhere until he follows you, the actors. That's why he's got to know you're on board with this way of working, because he's got nothing. But that probably makes, you know, it's probably one of the reasons why his films are incredible. Yeah, when they work. They work beautifully, don't that's they? That's why. They work. So let's flip round telly a little bit okay. before we depart, if that's okay. all right. Yep. Um, one thing I saw you in, again, I've seen you in it lots of times, but with Little Jack, was Hot Fuzz. Oh, he loved Hot that Fuzz. with Simon yeah, Pegg. Was yeah, that fun? Yeah, that was a great job. I'd seen Shaun of the Dead the week before. Yeah, I had the interview for Hot Fuzz, so I thought I'd better do some research. So I went to see Shaun of the Dead in an empty cinema in Manchester. I was filming out there, and it was like a rainy Wednesday, and there were three men and a dog and me watching this film. So not very auspicious circumstances to watch a movie by a director you're going to meet for a part in his next film. And I have never laughed so much in the cinema, in the empty barn of a place in Manchester. It, I thought it was so genius the mix of comedy, wit and horror and jokey, but kind of seriously acted. Uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. 
I just loved it. So it was one of those wonderful occasions where you can go into an interview quite genuinely and say, you guys are great. <laughs> I've just seen your <laughs> film. And honestly, I'm not just saying this to get the job, but it was fantastic. And even if you don't give me this part, I don't care because I'm so glad to meet you. Edgar Wright, the director as well, to say that to you. Brilliant. Anyway, then I did get the part. Does that make you cool, like with your daughter? It makes me very cool with a younger generation. Yeah. My daughter's, you know, when she was at uni, all her friends were like bowled over. She gives them my like, posh credits, you know, like Royal Shakespeare or Mike Lee, and, and then she'd get a hot fuzz and they'd all go, whoa. The thing about Simon, Edgar's brilliant director. Simon is like a technician of comedy. That was my impression. Nick Frost is like the big joke a minute, big larger than life, lovely guy on set. Simon's like a cool, serious scientist. How does this work? <laughs> and um, so it's a wonderful trio of talents and personalities. And they come up with these excellent films. We filmed it in Wells in Somerset, where Edgar is from. It was great. The other one you dipped into on our screens the other day was The Crown in the 1950s. I love yeah. the fact you popped up in that. Was that was that interesting yeah. to do? Oh, I loved it. Amazing drama. The thing is, that's Nina Goldcast in that. Is anything with Nina's name on it, you know it's class. Because she's like royalty excuse the pun she's the crown of casting the, it was wonderful to go into a series the budget was big and the quality of script actor production values direction just all came together it was great like you really feel like this is uh, Rolls Royce of TV and it's not a kind of royalty fan club it's like a real investigation into power and family and duty and you know so it's a proper serious historical drama and class written all over it so it's very great to be in it even in a small way beautifully done i feel we sort of kind of skipped over telly because you've been in everything like our zoo oh, and our zoo. And that was a beautiful and... little series i wish they'd done it again oh it was a, it was lovely but what's... i'm gonna mention one thing Go can on. i yeah, you can. tv wise you can. you can which i did in 2000 and this echoes where I am now with the Jimmy Savile drama because it was called Care, C-A-R-E, directed by Antonia Bird. And it was a drama based on real events of a paedophile ring in the North Welsh children's home. It was a big controversy at the time. And this drama was made from that. Stephen McIntosh played the lead brilliantly. And I played the headmaster of uh, one of these ghastly schools you know where this was going on so i wasn't playing a nice character but it was the most brilliant drama i mean it sort of echoes the jimmy savile because it, it was paedophilia and real life crime and real life people a drama based on that but it was so it had such integrity and kind of compassion Stephen's performance is amazing. And the young boys they had on it, they were all from like a drama club in Swansea, and they were so full of life and funny. So it was a very light set. It wasn't like dark and depressing. But the film was brilliant, and it got to the heart of the pain and the exploitation and everything. And I bumped into, so, every so often, you know, every so often, quite often on the street, once you've been on the telly, it doesn't matter what it is, you'll be recognised. And people go, oh, yeah, I saw you in that. Oh, I saw you in that. The, the the other series I should mention is Early Doors because that was a great Craig Cash comedy from almost 20 years ago. And if I go up north to Manchester, people don't say, 
I've seen you on telly. They give me a line from a scene in Early Doors from 20 years before. It had it was so popular, especially in the North. And it's a very brilliant series with wonderful characters and lines. So you'll get recognised and you'll get... Usually it's Have I Seen You on TV? This one, after that came out, I don't know, a few months after, somebody, I can't remember who it was. It was somebody in the street, like a, he was like a builder or something. He said, oi, oi, oi. You're on telly. And I go, yeah, expecting, what have I seen you in? Uh, but he said, you were in that, that Welsh pedophile thing, weren't you? And he said, mate, that was brilliant. I went through that, and that touched me like nothing else. And that was the end of the conversation. I just said, oh, my God, thank you so much. And I thought, well, if you do something with integrity and purpose and compassion, you know, it's not just like, oh, I've seen you on telly. It's like, well, Gets you, in, gets you in there, doesn't <laughs> and it? And that was just like a little example of that. But I'm very proud of that programme. I don't think it's ever been repeated. I don't know. It's on BBC somewhere. It was one I loved doing it, even though it was dark and, you know, you do it, you do it properly. And that, that's how the Jimmy Savile will be done as well. Oh, Peter, that seems a perfect place to wrap. Yeah. It's been really lovely to talk to you and it's so difficult to fit a fascinating career which has spanned decades, we won't say how many, oh, into a podcast, you. but I think we've managed to do it justice. I've enjoyed it very much, thank you. You've been listening to actor Peter White, who's currently filming The Reckoning for BBC One and is in Cyrano, starring Peter Dinklage, which has just opened in cinemas across Britain this weekend. Do subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search the Convex Conversation Conversation on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next week with another great guest. Join me then. Hold up. 